And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, Pod, uh, Spotify, Podbeam, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. We have a lot to talk about today as things continue to go on in our country and in our state and in the issue of life and abortion and identity and things that matter. These, these are the things that we want to talk about. When we talk about a life ethic, it is certainly involves life in the womb. It certainly involves talking about the abortion issue, but it also involves identity. It also involves kind of what our culture is doing and, and the lies that the enemy is telling when it comes to the identity of each of us and, and that we bear the image of God. That is the truth. The culture would say you can be and do whatever you want to be and do, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. And so what, the, what I want to do today is start with a piece uh, discussing manhood, uh, and I think it's interesting that that it's kind of, in, in 2023, it's provocative uh, for someone to write about manhood, uh, where the culture would say, oh, how dare you give gender roles, how dare you elevate or highlight manhood or womanhood, and it's fluid, and you can be and do whatever. Uh, the, the fact that, that this is strange, uh, from a cultural perspective, that, that it's strange for a man to write about manhood, uh, tells you all you need to know about where we are. But but I want to go over it because I think it's a great piece uh, in in talking about uh, looking and seeing what we are what we are missing in in today's uh, society. One day in October 2016, my t- my maternal grandfather asked to be taken to hospice care. This he knew that his body was about to give up, but not before he completed one final task: to draw up a sign in, that would remind my forgetful mother to turn off the stove remember her keys, and lock the door behind her. With the sign taped to the door of the flat they shared, he went on the rehab, onto the rehab facility where he parted from his earthly veil. He was 89 years old. Manhood, as my grandfather embodied it, notwithstanding his, is an ideal that should be familiar to many Americans, at least those of an older generation, that of the self-sacrificial man's man who quietly endures life's burden for his family and neighborhood, whose toughness lies not in the spread of his tattoos, but in the depth of his love, and who expresses that love not with simple words, but in decisive action. It is the ideal celebrated by Senator Josh Hawley in his moving and well-conceived new book, Manhood. The book's necessity is self-evident. America, as Holly's amply, uh, amply shows in, in painful anecdotes and even more painful statistics, is suffering, among many other crises, a crisis of masculinity and fatherhood. Meanwhile, in the material plane, there are the terrifying data. 18 million children, or one in four, growing up without a father in the home. A third of boys under 18 springing up with absent biological fathers. The world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households and on and on and on. Every few weeks, it seems, I come across an article in the New York Times whose upshot is that such statistics are no big deal, that alternative family formations are just as well as the natural family composed of a father, a mother, and their children. Yet, as Charles Murray pointed out in The Coming Apart in 2011, it is one of the most empirically established axioms in social science that other family forms yield worse outcomes than married biological parents. Apologists for the current state of affairs typically point out that abuse, for example, takes place in the traditional family as well. Yes, children growing up in traditional families may suffer abuse, but not nearly at the same rate as those growing up without fathers. For Holly, it is clear that there is some connection between the loss of the father and of a man as heroic self-sacrificing figure. 
and American society's other uh, problems from porn and opioid addiction to a widespread sense of uh, manhood and fatherhood as essential and irreplaceable categories have been squeezed in the vice grip of market liberalism, which has destroyed dignified jobs for men and social liberalism, which has ravaged male dignity as such. To counter these tendencies, Holly turns to the Bible, specifically to the Old Testament, which points men to their mission, quote, to work on nature through human art to in, and, and to perfect it, as the Dutch Calvinist politician, journalist, and social theorist Abraham Kippur, quoted by Holly, put it, See, the Bible in this telling paints a picture of the cosmos as an orderly whole, which each individual, man or woman, is called to partake in and help improve as an extension of God's own creative action. Within this whole men, not in the generic human sense, but males, are called by the Bible to serve as husbands, fathers, priests, and kings. Holly devotes a chapter to each of these, interweaving biblical learning with surprisingly intimate anecdotes drawn from his own life. Holly's life was enriched by several old-school men, the quietly loving and enduring kind, such as a grandfather who urged him towards self-mastery through the simple act of telling him to learn to tie his own boot laces. There are also gut-wrenching episodes, such as childhood friend suicide and the miscarriage of the Holly's first child, that awaken the future senator to the mystery of evil and the reality of the fall. That's that which differentiates the biblical account of the cosmic whole from the classical one, and which points to the necessity of divine self-sacrifice for the final restoration of the broken whole. I could go on and on with that article, but the reality is we are missing we are missing a piece of the past, of tradition, when it comes to manhood. The way I'm raising my boy looks a little bit different than the way the culture would say I should raise my boy in 2023. The way, the way I'm raising my girls looks different than what the culture would say I should wait, raise my girls in 2023. The men in my life growing up was my dad, a hardworking man that, that farmed, still farms to this day. My stepdad. So even in the brokenness of marriage with my mom and dad, I had a stepdad that loved me well, that taught me hard work that taught me how to work with my hands, that taught me how to work on the, the, the car, that, that taught me how to work in the field, that taught me how to take care of things and, and protect and provide. A granddad that, that lived to be 96 years old, that literally milked cows from the time he was five years old to the time he was 75 years old, that, that never left Tennessee, that... that very seldom, maybe once or twice, left Cornersville, where he called home, but taught us about hard work, taught us about getting up early, going to, going to bed early, taught us about taking care of the land, taught us about loving your spouse. Now, now did my papa sit down with me and say, Hey, here's how you talk to your wife, and, and here's how you love on her and dote on her. No, he didn't say that. But as my grandmother was taking her last breath, in the, in the days leading up to her last breath, I watched my Paul rub her face with a tear in his eyes as he told her he loved her. In the last years of my papa's life, he would sit with me and he would say, sometimes I look over at that recliner and I, I see your grandmother still sitting there because they each had their own recliner in the living room. 
And he says, sometimes I sit here and I swear that she's still sitting there and I want to talk to her. He loved that woman, married to her for 50 plus years. Actually, I think it was 60 plus years. My granddaddy, one of the hardest working men that I know, my mom's dad, showed me what hard work was like. How do you love your kids? How do you love your family? He's still married to my grandmother. They've been married for 70 plus years. You see, we as society in our current culture, we like to dog men. We like to dog what manhood is, what womanhood is. We like to dog traditional values, biblical values. Our culture would like to tell women that want to stay home and be a mom to their children that that they are doing it wrong. Our culture would want to tell women that that want to work outside the home and also be good mothers that they're doing it wrong. Our culture wants to look at men and say, hey, if you think you're tough and and that, that you celebrate manhood, you're doing it wrong. We don't need you. But see, our culture has it backwards. Our culture is missing the point. Because what our lost culture doesn't understand is that our culture would sustain and would operate better if we celebrated traditional family values. It's always been the case. Children that grow up in those situations, in those scenarios, are less likely to go to jail, less likely to be drug addicted, less likely to commit suicide, more likely to find a job, more likely to graduate high school, more likely to graduate college. The data points are clear. But it's not just about numbers. It's not just about data. It's what are we, what are we setting up for future generations? What kind of ideal are we giving them? Like, am I, am I setting the bar for my children to say, look, marriage is something you need to pursue. Parenting is something you need to pursue. Or am I making it so bad for them that they're going, the last thing I want to do is get what mommy and daddy have. Or are we setting up for them, hey, the only thing that, that defines success is climbing that career ladder. Having that fat bank account. Having that big house with the, the, the big garage, the, the big cars. Like what are, we, what are we giving to the generations coming up behind us? What are we handing off to them? Are we setting a bar high or setting it low? Are we telling our little girls that that motherhood is a joyous? Sure, it's difficult, but a joyous experience. Are we telling our little boys that being a dad requires sacrifice from you? Being a dad requires something of you? Are we sharing these this knowledge and wisdom with them? I often think about the men in my life and the the wisdom that they bring. And it, much of that is because they're much older. One day I will be in that situation. One day I'll be the old guy. What wisdom am I imparting to the next generation? Or are we missing that next generation? Are we missing 
the next old wise guy? Are we missing that? Because our culture has said we don't need you. Are we missing those things because we'd rather be wrapped up in our social media with our heads down in our phones? Are we missing those things? There's a reason why there's a lot of country songs about sitting on the front porch and having a conversation. Because those conversations made a difference. I still tell stories to my kids about stories my granddaddy told me from sitting on the front porch, sitting on the back patio, sitting on the tractor with them, sitting at the kitchen table with them. Are we missing those things because we're too caught up in the next thing? Are we missing those things because we're too caught up in how can we grow our bank account next month? Where's our focus? What are we giving to the next generation? Are we telling a next generation of boys that you need to become men? Society needs you. Your families need you. Culture needs you. Are we telling the next generation of girls that you need to become women? Society needs you. Your family needs you. Culture needs you. Or are we muddying up all these definitions? And that's something we need to wrestle with. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation today, look, I wanted to start with definitions in the first segment when it comes to manhood and womanhood and because the enemy right now and we talked about this on the show before the enemy comes to kill still and destroy so what that means is to kill via abortion and doctor assisted suicide and and drug addiction to to steal it's stealing childhood innocence it's stealing what we have known for a long time to be traditional values, what we've known for a long time to be definitions. It's destroying our culture. The, the enemy is set out to destroy anything that we would uh, see as traditional or valuable, even down to our identity. So, so scripture would tell us in Genesis that, that God created male and female. He created them both. There's only two. He created Adam, male. He created Eve, female. And so the enemy's going to come in and go, no, now did he though? Did he really do that? Or was that kind of fluid? And so we're going to muddy the waters. That's what the enemy does. That's what culture is doing currently. We're muddying the waters. They say that it's out of an act of love, that that they love people so much that they want people to be what they want to be. It's interesting, though, because that tolerance ends when, when Christian people stand up and go, no, there's only two genders. You see, then all of a sudden they're no longer tolerant of us because, well, we want you to be and do whatever you want to be and do, but, but not Christianity. We don't want that. We don't want your traditional values. We don't want your, your traditional definitions. We, we don't want those things. Even to the point of now we're, we're, we're saying things about abortion that, that are elevating self over others. 
So, so even our culture at times will say things like, you got to love, you know, the golden rule. Love others as you love yourself. They, they say that, and they, they think they mean well, and they think they mean it. But, but then, then you see Planned Parenthood put out an ad where they say things like, the abortion made me stronger. Getting my abortion, it felt like it saved my life. After my abortion, all I felt was relief. You see, well, that doesn't sound like loving your neighbor as yourself. That sounds like loving yourself over your neighbor. But it's being elevated now. So, so in this new season, in a post-row United States, Planned Parenthood is putting their cards out on the table. We, we elevate self-love. That is what the abortion industry is saying. Well, what is self-love? Self-love is sacrificing the child inside of me so that I can climb the career ladder, graduate college, graduate high school, get that job, not lose my job. You see, you see what they're doing here? They're trying to elevate self over others. And, and so as we enter into post-Roe America, and we've been here now uh, almost a year, we'll be celebrating a year of the overturning of Roe on June 24th of this year. And, and so what they are seeking to do is elevate self over others. Right. I mean, this is what we're seeing across the board when it comes to the state of Washington and, and the laws that they have passed. When it comes to uh, minors being transitioned, they call it gender affirming care. It's certainly not that. It's child mutilation. It's not good for the child. It's not good for our culture. It's not good for families. So as we enter into new seasons. We're finding new definitions. We're seeing the society be muddied on purpose. And it's interesting. I, the, average, the average life expectancy in America is around 78. Now, I want to be above average. I'm sure you listening want to be above average. And, but but that's, that's about the average, 78. I'll be 39 years old in July. What does that mean? Well, do the math. That means I'm halfway there. And this has been weighing heavy on me the last couple of weeks. It just dawned on me the other day that, that this birthday, which typically your, you know, your milestone birthdays are 16, 18, 25, 30, 35, and then 40, but not, not many people talk about 39. Now, 39 is, hey, it's my last, my last hoorah in the 30s. But, but for me, I haven't really looked to 39 being any different than any other number. You don't get discounts because you're 39. You, you, know, you, you already can drive. You already can do things. So 39 really doesn't come with any incentives. But over the past few weeks, it just dawned on me that it, if I'm just average, if I just make it to the average life expectancy in America, I'm halfway there. 
Now, if you look at my papa, he, he was 96 years old, so he lived, you know, 20 more, almost 20 more years after the life expectancy. But let's just say that, that you know, I'm, I met the average life expectancy of 78. That means I am halfway through. You could say I'm halfway through, I'm halfway there. Got 39 more years left. And the question is, what am I going to do the rest of the way? What is that? What what is the mission? What is the focus? What will be the priorities? What will I spend my time on? What will be my legacy? Now, that doesn't mean you throw in the towel and it's all over. Certainly not. I got a lot of good years ahead of me. But the point is, are we thinking in those terms? Now, some may be going, well, that's morbid. Or, or maybe you're listening, you're going, well, I'm 77 today. Are you telling me I just have one year? I'm not telling you that. I can't tell the future. What I'm saying is, if we look at the numbers, on average, that is the life expectancy. So what are we doing with the time we have left? What are we doing? And, and I want to encourage you today because with whatever time you have left, whether that's five years, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, whatever that looks like for you, what are you doing with the time left? Are you being intentional in those moments? And for me, this this is convicting because I'm thinking, okay, well, well, what am I doing? Am I being intentional with my children? Am I being intentional with my wife? Am I being intentional in ministry? Am I being intentional in my community? Am I being intentional with the generations that are coming up behind me? What are we doing to make a difference? Are we being intentional with the gospel? Do we sense urgency in what the time we have left? Who are we investing in? What are we investing in? You know, every Sunday my phone gives me an update. Hey, you spent X amount of time on your phone this week per day. That's convicting. So if I do the math and I average it out, is that where I want to spend my time? Scrolling social media? When my son asks me to go hunt with him and I find an excuse not to, is that how I want to spend my time? When my little girls ask me to go do something, go play basketball or go play in the yard or sit down for a tea party, am I... Wasting my time in those moments when my wife says, hey, when are we going to go on a date? Am I looking for moments like that? So, so be intentional with your time. And I'll talk about why that's important when we come back. So as we finish up the last segment, I was talking about the being intentional. Now, we should be intentional Regardless if we're viewing that from a, hey, we have, you know, we have 39 years more of life or 50 years more of life or five years more of life. We should be intentional anyway. But, but even more so when we start to see, oh, there's a cap on this life. 
There, there's, there's going to be a moment where we take our last breath. That, there, that moment will come. And so the question is, when we do, in fact, take that last breath, what is the legacy? What is the, the focus? What, what will be the, I mean, my prayer is you'll have peace because you know where you'll spend eternity. But, but I want you to have peace now. I want, I want you to understand that, that our culture is spewing lies, not just to the younger generation coming up, but spewing lies to you. Spewing lies to your families. And, and that's intentional. So the enemy is going to be intentional. At times, the enemy will be intentionally vague. And it'll say things like, well, don't you think your gender is fluid? The enemy will be intentionally vague by saying, well, do you really think of having a baby would be the right thing to do at this moment? Do you really think starting a family is the right thing to do at this moment? The enemy is intentionally vague. Even in the garden, what did the enemy say? That, did God really say that? Remember? He, he, he made Eve question everything. Now, now, did he really say that? Or did he say that because he knew that if you ate of this tree that you would be just as powerful as him and he doesn't want you to be powerful? You see, the enemy intentionally creating doubt, the enemy intentionally attacking, the enemy intentionally pulling folks and pointing people away from God. So if we know that that was true in the garden... And we know that is true throughout Scripture, and we know that is true throughout our history. We know that is true in our current culture, in our current society. What are we going to do to make sure that we are, in, are being intentional in our own lives, in our own walk, in our own faith, in our own choices, in our own health, in our own parenting, in our own marriage? What are we doing to be intentional? And, and I know that, that some may be listening to this and going, man, this is, this is too heavy. Well, life is heavy. But being intentional with your children is not a negative thing. And it's not something that one day you're going to regret. Man, I wish I was just not so intentional with them. I wish I didn't raise them so well. I don't think, I've never heard anybody say that. Being intentional with your spouse, you're not going to regret that. Intentionally dating your spouse, I can assure you, you're not going to regret that. Being intentional with the gospel in your community, I, you're not going to regret that. You see, there are good and godly things that, that you can be a part of. But are we being intentional in those moments? When my papa would put me on the tractor with him, he was being intentional in that moment. Sure, he was getting to spend time with his grandson. But it was also, hey, I'm going to teach him some life lessons. When my stepdad would sit with me and I would work on my vehicle and I would get frustrated and angry and I would look at him and say, you know how to do this. You just do it. And my stepdad, with patience of a saint, would look down at me and go, but you'll never learn if you don't do it. You see, he was being intentional in that moment. 
to say that right now you're 15 years old, but one day you'll be 35 years old and you'll have a family. And I'm not going to be able to be right there beside you forever. Are you being intentional in these moments? Because here's the thing. If we are intentional in our churches, if we are intentional in our homes, if we are intentional with our children, with our spouses, then, then the enemy, although the enemy will still be at work, the enemy's success rate will drop dramatically. Because listen to this. If, if we're being intentional with our little girls and we're being intentional with our little boys about their identity and who made them and who created them and whose image they bear, when they hear the nonsense being spouted off from the culture, they're going to think back, well, well, hold on, what do I believe about this? What do I know to be true? Now, that doesn't mean that, that all your kids are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be mistakes. It, none of that. No, what I'm saying is the chances are going to go increase dramatically with our kids not falling prey to that if we are intentional. We know that to be true, but we get busy. We get busy at work. We get busy in the mundane, and next thing you know, is I've been scrolling social media for two hours. I've been watching YouTube videos for three hours. I've just been sitting on my rump doing nothing. I came home from work, and I'm tired, and I don't have, no, I don't want to go play basketball with you, little Johnny. I just don't. I want to sit down and do nothing. I've been working all day, and I'm tired. No, honey, I don't want to go on a date tonight because I'm tired. I've been working all day and I'm tired and I had an, an argument with my boss and no, I don't want to sit down at your, your fake tea party, little Susie. You see, and, and, and those things start to compound and then we start to wonder, why, why are my kids not coming to me in their time of need? Why am I getting the cold shoulder from my spouse? Why are they not sharing things with me? You see, being intentional is important in, a, in, a, in our walk because, as I said, the enemy is being intentional to pull you away and to pull you apart, to break your family up. Just like the enemy uses abortion to pit the mom against her child, the enemy will use even relationships and busyness to pit you against your child, whether they be in the womb or five years old or 12 years old. The enemy will come in and and pit you against your spouse, and now it's a competition. Who's making the most money? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Am I appreciated enough? So again, if the enemy is being intentional in in his desire to pull you away from the things of God, then shouldn't we be intentional about making sure that our family grows closer to God, about making sure that our kids are loved and cared for, about making sure that our spouse is loved and cared for, about making sure that the gospel, the good news of the gospel is being not just spread around the world, but spread in our, in our homes and in our communities? Because the enemy has a loud megaphone. 
And they're telling our little girls and our little boys that their identity doesn't matter. They're telling our little girls and our little boys that that pregnancy is just a blob. They're telling our little girls and little boys that that abortion will ultimately get them to the to the goals that they've set before themselves. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. So if they are getting that from the enemy and if that is if, if the enemy is being intentional in that then we better have a sense of urgency to be intentional in our walk, in our conversations, in in what we are passing down to the generations coming behind us. Again, you're going to mess up. You're going to, there's going to be days where you just, you just don't have it. You know, my phone tells me how much time I spend on my phone each day. Sometimes I wonder if if I had a a way to track how much time I spent loving on my wife. How much time I spent loving on my kids. How much time I spent intentionally reading the word in prayer. And my fear is that that number that the iPhone tells me on Sunday about the time I spent on my phone would, would outweigh the number when it came to my kids, when it came to my wife, when it came to the things of God. You see, this isn't about a guilt trip. This is about being intentional with our time. In 2020, my wife and I were getting life insurance. So we had to get a physical. The physical came back. Not great. With me, anything, anything bad was heart related. And so what did I do? I got intentional about my time. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise. I'm going to eat better. And I've, I have made it a discipline. I've been intentional about getting up every morning and being active. I'm doing things every single day to better my health. Why? Because I had a wake-up call. And I needed to be intentional. Folks, our culture, there's, a, there's been a wake-up call. Look around you. This is the moment. This is the wake-up call that we needed. It shouldn't have come to this, but this is where we are. So now, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond? Are we going to be intentional in our homes, in our churches, and in our communities? Or are we going to sit back and let the enemy devour. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, look, if you're not careful looking at all that's going on, what what that can do is is cause you to be a hermit and kind of go back into your shell and and just, look, I'm I'm done with the world. I'm done with all this. I'm not going to mess with it. I would caution you against that. We want to see our culture celebrate the things of God and the things of faith. We, I want to see the culture celebrate family, manhood, womanhood, fatherhood, motherhood. I mean, we just came off Mother's Day weekend where we celebrated moms all over the country. Secular people did it. Christian people did it. But here's the thing. Why do we celebrate it? And how are we celebrating those things in our home? How are we, how are we telling our children what, 
what is to come and, and how are we setting the stage for them? When, when I asked my wife to marry me, we were 21 years old, still in college. We ended up getting married uh, a few months later. We both had turned 22. And, and a lot of our peers were looking at us like we were crazy. Thankfully, none of the adults in our life looked at us and said, what are you doing? My mom was ecstatic. My dad understood and was, was, was happy with it. My stepdad was happy with it. My grandparents were happy with it. Of course, my grandparents got married young. My wife's family were, were fine with it and happy with it. But I wonder what it would have been like if, if we'd have done that and everybody around us would have said, ah, oh, this is a bad, bad mistake. Now, our peers remember asking questions and going, Why, how do you know? How do you know that, that this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with? How do you know this is the direction you need to go? What are you doing? What, what's love even mean? But I wonder if, if the older folks in our life at that moment would have thrown water on the whole idea, what would have happened? And, and look, my wife and I both come from divorced homes. Yet, it was instilled in us what our, our desires were and the future that we wanted and the future that we were hoping to achieve. And it included marriage. It included children. And so how are we being intentional in our communities? Because right now we have a generation of folks coming up that, that many of them are not living in a home with mom and dad. Many of them have never experienced that. I, I'm not that old, and I remember back in the day when you would hear of a family divorcing, it was shocking. Not so much anymore. And so again, you, you can't control everything that's happening in our culture. If you try to carry that burden, you're, it's going to be too heavy. But you can control what's going on in your home. You can control what's going on in your circle of influence, in your family. If you were a dad listening, you, you have control and leadership within the home. It's up to you to pursue your spouse, to date them. And look, that, that's me looking in the mirror and going, I fail at that every single day. And I have to be better. I have to be more intentional in that. It's up to me as the dad to set the bar for my son on what being a dad and a husband looks like. It's up to me as a dad to set the bar for my little girls to know what kind of man should get their attention. It's up to my wife to show my, my boy what kind of woman should get his attention. And to show my little girls what kind of mom and what kind of wife you should be. But look, folks, that takes intentionality. It takes focus. We can't combat what's happening in our culture with simple politics or platitudes that, that mean nothing. No, matter of fact, the enemy would love that. The enemy would love if we just make abortion a political issue. The enemy would love if we look at all these cultural issues and make them political only. Because that's only going to divide us even more. The enemy would love if a pastor would say, look, we don't talk about 
abortion because it's a political issue. The enemy loves that. So, so we must be intentional in our conversations. We must be intentional in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting. It is worth the effort. Because as I said, the enemy is going to be intentional to kill, steal, and destroy. So are we being intentional in our lives, in our walk? I hope we are. We'll talk to you next week.